It's the Security Weekly News, episode 145. Welcome to the week of 22 August 2021. Liquid proxy shell redux, redux, redux. Real tech and Mirai, the spaghetti detective, the Taliban, power apps, and Hong Kong censorship. All this and Jason Wood on the Security Weekly News. Stick around. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. With the skills gap increasing, it's more important than ever to train your staff effectively and efficiently. Offensive Security provides training for your organization designed by the same minds behind Kali Linux. Here are two recent offerings from Offsec. Offsec Academy gives you the chance to earn industry-leading OSCP certification with dedicated one-on-one -on -one mentoring. You can also try Proving Grounds Enterprise, created exclusively by Offensive Security's InfoSec experts for highly realistic simulated networks. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Offsec to learn more. Welcome to the Security Weekly News. You know, I I know I need to just let this go. I, I do, but but I just can't. I mean, while COVID-19 just won't go away and it's now surging again, well, proxy shell won't go away either. And now CISA is warning that it is surging. I mean, an so over the weekend, an urgent alert from CISA was issued that unpatched exchange servers are being actively attacked. Huntress reported that starting Friday night, 140 web shells that they saw were launched against 1,900 unpatched exchange servers. And so this was part of their research. Uh, so Kyle Hanslevin of Huntress said that the targets were spread across all industries. I mean, it makes sense. They're spread across all industry segments. Why not? You're just scanning for unpatched exchange servers. Uh, so the most common web shell in use, according to Huntress, was XLS Transform. In, uh, the, uh, that was used in 130 of the attacks. Uh, but uh, other tools were also being used as well. Uh, they had lock file ransomware was seen in this in some of these attacks. So, I mean, basically, I think what that part of the research says is that basically people are using this to do whatever it is they want. And people haven't patched their servers. So guess what? The servers are getting taken out. Uh, Kevin Beaumont uh, blamed Microsoft for not stressing how dangerous uh, that the, these types of vulnerabilities are. Uh, in particular, and for dragging their feet on issuing CVEs at, uh, until four months after the patches were issued. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that if that's Microsoft just you know doing due diligence or what. And they did have patches out. I mean, I I keep saying it patch. I mean, Microsoft had patches available, and you and they still didn't do it. I mean, I'm tired of reporting on proxy shell, or maybe this is all just not a, a not so clever metaphor for COVID. No, proxy shell is real. COVID is real. It's all real and, and there's there's a way out of both of them all right uh, iot inspector research lab reported a number of vulnerabilities on the 16th of august in the Realtek chipset uh within two days of this report attackers were actively targeting devices that use the chipset and um sam seamless network reported that multiple attempts were made to breach the company's secure home platform that, and, and we're trying to install Mirai. So Mirai has been around a long time and it's designed to target IOT in particular. And it also targets routers and other networking equipment. 
uh, and it's, it's basically a botnet. So the botnet that's pushing Mirai now is exploiting the 9.8 CVE vulnerability in 200 different models and 65 uh, from 65 different vendors, which includes Belkin, D-Link, Netgear, Tenda, ZTE, and Zixel, among others. So there's, there's others on this list. Uh, the most commonly targeted devices in this study, anyway, in the article, were NetIS E1 Plus Extender. I don't even know what that is. Atomax, N150, and N300 routers, Repotech, RPWR5444 router, uh, but those are just the top ones, so there's a whole pile of other ones. Uh, so if you have uh, anything that's using a Realtek chipset, don't know if you have it or not, well, you know, uh, you may want to check. Uh, but anyway, the, the vulnerability is there. The article does include recommendations for securing IoT, like, you know, patch your devices, but also don't expose HTTP management interfaces to the internet. I mean, look, you need to be using private VLANs or some sort of segmentation between your IoT networks, your Wi-Fi networks, et cetera. I mean, I, I know, I know, we all do it, and, and we all add things to our networks, and we ju you know, just get it working, and we'll worry about securing it later. And then the next thing you know, some IT person is asking if you can like open the firewall to port 80 so they can get to their drone network from home, and it's like, you know... 5.30, well, actually for networking, it's 9.30 p.m. on a Friday night and you haven't had enough caffeine that day and maybe it's just a personal death wish or self-loathing or something like that, but you do it. You say, now I can at least go home. And, you know, and then when you come in on Saturday, it's, it's, it's Mariah. You know, so don't do it, man. Just, just don't do it. Opening firewall ports is just a gateway drug to getting the opportunity to do a full ransomware recovery this weekend when you were supposed to get to go and hang out with Tom Petty at a friend of his house. And now you get to sit here trying to fix all these problems that were caused because you exposed your management interface to the public. Now, the original story there was about someone else who may just possibly have exposed his management interface in the wrong place, so I changed the name to the wonderful, sadly deceased, and yet apparently harmless Tom Petty. So we won't get into that. Speaking of exposed interfaces and floppy latex extrusions, I'm going to give that one a minute. Just let that land. <laughs> floppy latex extrusions. Who writes this stuff? Um, apparently there is something called a spaghetti monster. I, I had never heard of this, so I, I had to like dig into it a little bit. A and I'm always afraid I'm going to search for something like spaghetti monster, and I'm going to find out that it's some new brand of incredibly bizarre pornography that I really, really, really don't want to see. But in this case, it refers to 3d printers gone wild. So the spaghetti monster is when a 3D printer decides to exude its, its typical goo in all the wrong directions, which can be because the construct is unstable, so it like, could fall over or it's like too heavy on one side or it wasn't designed very well, and it, you know, and it tips over, it leans funny, and then you know, all of a sudden there's this like, uh, hot goo spraying out all over the room. and it, Yeah, uh, this is getting really, really bizarre. Um, but anyway, the spaghetti detective then is an open source toolkit that detects this happening in your 3D printer. And then it warns you to shut it down already. In some printers, it could even automatically shut down the printer to prevent a giant oozing sticky mess. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's like, okay, that's a pretty cool piece of software and it's open source. So I guess it's kind of free. And uh, I mean, I know not open, all open source is free, but, but it, it's, it has free and pay version. So now, just because you can use a 3D printer doesn't necessarily mean you're big on setting up open source tools and, and all that kind of stuff. So a cloud-based version of the Spaghetti Detective 
uh, will allow you for us for the one-time fee of forty-eight dollars a year to uh, to do up to fifty hours of online webcam monitoring for spaghettification, which I know that's got to do with black holes, but I'm going to use it here anyway uh, because it kind of looked like you know what that would feel like. Uh, so you pay them; they will monitor you from their cloud-based site. The developer of this tool, Kenneth Chang, uh, described himself as being a hacker and not a programmer. And is focused, and he said, "I am focused on getting features built fast." As <laughs> and I always something you want to hear from developers: getting those features built fast, and 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 then turning around and saying he's sloppy about coding styles and terrible at algorithm questions. <laughs> so, take that. Uh, the cloud, a large quantity of molten vinyl, and you've got an episode of Doctor Who called the Renegade Bikini Wax, maybe, or something like that. And unfortunately, this resulted in a code mod last week that he did that basically exposed printers, uh, which were using this service, and they were on private networks to the internet. And of course, once that happens, people can take them over. They can do all kinds of weird stuff. One Reddit user reported that a block of whatever it is, whatever they use to print with, uh, was printed on his printer overnight. And it said, it's on the screen if you can see it, but if you can't see it, it says, TSD is not secure. I randomly connected. Sorry, I had to inform. Ooh. Um, and I used to do this to my neighbors on old 2D printers. When, when, when the internet first came live, a lot of people in my neighborhood had printers and you could see them. And so I started printing stuff, but I didn't print really nice warning messages like that. I printed stuff like, he's asleep now. Get in there and insert the probes. Don't forget this animal lubricant. You're going to need it. He won't remember a thing. Uh, oops, is this on? Why is there a print button on this? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Chang fixed the code and sent out a big apology and said, I'm so sorry. And then said, said all that stuff about, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a hacker, not a programmer kind of thing, even though I'm actually being a programmer here. Uh, the article has a full description of how the attack worked and why the TSD failed. And as the cloud expands, I think this sort of thing is going to get more common. Uh, the term fog is used to describe your cloud-based edge devices and the interfaces between them and the cloud. But if you aren't careful, the fog may actually just be a cloud that exposes your device to the entire internet. You know, like ever had one of those days where you're in a lodge in the mountains and the deep woods and you figured there was no one around. So you and your girlfriend were standing in front of the window and hadn't bothered to get dressed. And you realize that a really happy family of parents and children have decided to have a picnic in the woods. Eh, no, that never happened to me either. Um, anyway, well, Poly Networks was robbed last week. We reported on a story on Security Weekly News, we on Paul Security Weekly, and they lost $600 million in cryptocurrency to a hacker named Mirible Dictu, which I think is Latin. And according to a, a person I know who speaks Latin, it means wonderful to relate. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Poly Networks. Uh, called Miribile, Miribile, I think is how you say that in Latin, Miribile, Mr. White Hat, uh, since the, the hacker has promised to return as much as he can since he was only acting out of altruism. Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore, riding through the land. Sorry, that's a Monty Python joke about robbing from the poor. So look it up. Uh, anyway, kind of like while you are robbing the Wawa with a shotgun, you tell poor Judge Reinhold, who's working in the Wawa now, that you're only doing this to donate the money to the poor. And that's a reference to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay, I know. If you have to explain the joke, it's not really a joke. Okay, whatever. But anyway, Polly paid Dick to about $500,000 as a reward, which is, you know, small change when you're getting back some portion of $600 million. Although I personally thought they give him the five hundred k, and he says, all I had left was $50 in these old subway tokens. But, you know, 
whatever. And then he's got more money. But anyway, uh, so this week, Liquid, which is a cryptocurrency trading platform, was also hit. And notice on their website currently says all crypto deposits are currently suspended. Do not transfer crypto to your Liquid wallet until further notice. That's always reassuring on a financial site. Uh, and then it says, I assure you we are open. No, it doesn't say that. That's a, that's a reference to clerks. Yeah, so... Boy, there was a whole bunch of references in there. Um, deeper in the site, if you dig around, it actually has a notice that, that warm wallets were compromised and they are moving remaining assets into the cold wallet. So if you aren't up on the lingo, a cold wallet is the one where your local device, where you have the keys, don't lose your phone or your hard drive or whatever. And a warm wallet or a hot wallet is available for immediate access online. Hot wallets are basically a live account being controlled by you and someone that you trust a lot with your money. Call for Mr. Madoff. Mr. Madoff, white courtesy telephone, please. Sorry, yet another uh, obscure reference. Uh, but anyway, no other details were available as yet. So some sound advice at the end of the article, though. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And if you're planning to buy crypto, keep as much of it as possible in a cold wallet. And don't lose the keys to your cold wallet, or you may have a couple of million of Bitcoin on a hard drive that you just can't get back. Apparently, Liquid's missing around $100 million right now. Despite the funding, which may get approved in the $1.5 trillion infrastructure budget, which is the smaller of the proposals, mind you, uh, th this report said that the most vulnerable portion of the United States is local government agencies like school districts, city halls, police departments, rat catchers, cats meets men, all those kind of things that every town has to have. And so, you know, all those, and they're very vulnerable to ransomware attack. I don't think that's news to any of us. But pretty much, you know, it, it happens so often, I don't even mention it on the news anymore because we see school districts, police districts, whatever, compromised by ransomware almost every single day somewhere, and that's just what's getting reported. Uh, you know, and all of this is often then preceded by exfiltration of data. Uh, so, and of course, that leads to the so-called double ransom where they threaten to release names of undercover agents if you don't pay for the keys, even if you had backups. So probably most of us have been asked by someone in one of these groups for IT help at some point, whether it was like this, we bought this with withy router thing and want to connect it to the interglobe probe stube. What is it called? In oh, internet. Yeah. You get those kind of questions. I I've had those kind of questions. And most of these people have either set up connections by uh, a, and I put this in air quotes, high tech crimes officer. And the high-tech crimes officer was the person who had the computer sitting on their desk that they were forced to have in the department that no one wanted, and that was the lowest-ranking person. Or even just a school asking, now, hackers can't get to us over this interweb thing, correct? Um, you know, those kind of things. But anyway, according to the report, 2,354 of these organizations were hit with ransomware just in the United States alone in 2020. And according to the Center for Internet Security Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, I always want to say that out loud, which is, of course, MSISEC. Uh, so far, between January and June, 75 ransomware attacks had been reported to MSISEC from its 11,000 member base, which doesn't sound like that much, really, but I, I, that's just MSISEC and their members. Imagine you know, if you took all that together. So while I feel sorry for these underfunded underdogs in the virtual wars, they didn't used to matter much. 
uh, you know, if some school district in, you know, Hapshat, Mississippi got hit, hit with ransomware, it didn't affect the world. But today we join the Hapshat school district to the local sheriff's office, to the state police, to the FBI, to the, you know, and it gets a little out of hand. And there's a compromise, you know, in Mississippi of shadow and password files down at the animal shelter in West Nostril. And that starts to take on a whole new set of access problems when those same passwords were used for the VPN connection to the Grand, Grand Fenwick State Police. Typically, these organizations don't have any money and they can't afford to hire you. And, and, you know, and they can't afford to hire me. I make less than you do, but they can't afford to hire either one of us. And, you know, they end up relying on students or Mr. Fix-It, your handy computer handyman, to manage their IT infrastructure and security posture. I'm not even making that up. And, you know, Mr. Fix-It was going to do the security posture right after they got that printer driver fixed, but that used up the whole three-year budget for Mr. Fix-It, so they had to wait for two more years. And, you, and like I said, you think I'm kidding, but I was offered free honey once as payment for, from a town that shall remain nameless, not, not the one I live in, but they needed network setups, internet setups, and were concerned about security on their town's network. And they, all they had to pay with was honey for some strange reason. I guess I don't know where the honey came from. Unfortunately, my bank wouldn't accept honey for my house payment, so I had to decline. Not sure how they pay when they get ransomware either. Honey? Bit honey? Crypto honey? I don't know. Anyway, as the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan after 20 years of war, the Taliban, who had been an insurgent group for, well, 20 years, um, took over. Uh, and shortly after they took over, five websites that are run by the Taliban in five different languages all went offline suddenly on Friday. This may be the result of other groups trying to limit the online reach of the Taliban, but Cloudflare, Cloudflare had previously been providing the company with uh, security and website hosting and all that kind of stuff, uh, but they refused. They did not respond to any inquiries about whether or not they were still supporting them when they went down. Uh, WhatsApp groups and other Taliban uh, like propaganda sites, I guess, also went offline. WhatsApp also declined to comment about whether or not they were blocking the sites due to U.S. law. Uh, the Taliban's Twitter sites, however, were still operative. Operative, if you want to get information. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. Did I just tell people to go to the Taliban's Twitter? Yeah, don't do that. Um, Microsoft Power Apps is a popular dev platform that is used like WordPress to develop and deploy websites quickly. And just like WordPress and any other tool that develops outward-facing content, well, if you don't configure it correctly, it will get compromised. Uh, UpGuard reported that they had found 47 different entities, which included Microsoft, federal government, state government, police agencies, etc., who had, and, and it included Microsoft, had misconfigured Power Apps and left data expo exposed. UpGuard submitted a vulnerability report to Microsoft in June, reporting that they believed up to 38 million records were exposed just in the things that they were looking at. Based on this, Microsoft has since worked to improve the security on their end, uh, but not on your end. Uh, so remember, if it's out in the breeze, hacking it is easy. easy. Oh, sorry, I, that doesn't rhyme. I'm, who am I? Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um, when we return, Jason Wood joins us with commentary. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security programs. Uptics, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. That's Uptics, U-P-T-Y-C-S. Check them out at securityweekly.com forward slash Uptics for a free trial. He is a master of erotic ice, ice sculpture and has fro provided frozen naughtiness to everyone from Barack Obama's 50th birthday party to the wedding of Harry and Meghan Markle. 
His piece entitled Frosty Naughtiness in the Garden of Eden was exhibited for two weeks before it melted and is considered an erotic ice classic on a par with the Frozen Battle of Otterburn and Nude Warrior with Frozen Bits. It's none other than Mr. Jason Wood. Hey, everybody. Good to be back with you again. Um, today's story, I was, as usual, the e-crime world continues to catch my attention because I just find the whole thing interesting. Um, and one of the things that's, like I said, the most fascinating bit is how they interoperate with each other and and some of the things that go on there. Um, and the trust relationships that they have to have at certain points is kind of wild considering everything is that they're doing is illegal. Um, so this story kind of, you know, follows along with some of the, you know, a side that we don't think of maybe too much when we think of ransomware operations or drugs being sold on the dark net or whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> one of the problems that the participants in these activities always have is at some point they want to pay their house payment. And it's really hard to do that with, uh, with money you've gotten from things that were, probably being investigated by law enforcement and you don't want them come knocking on your door um, and get evicted that way by being sent off to jail. So basically it's money laundering, right? They have to somehow take this money that they've gotten from selling something that they, they shouldn't have or ransoming somebody or developing some software that was illegal or, or, you know, would be used in ransomware operations, let's say, um, and turn that into you know something that they can use in real life without law enforcement coming after them, and this applies to the world of cryptocurrency and the transactions that we have flowing there uh, for for various criminal operations. So last week, the Department of Justice announced uh, a guilty plea by an individual who was operating a money laundering operation uh, service specifically for uh, cryptocurrency. Now I found this story on the Portswigger blog. Uh, you've got the, the link in the show notes. You can go check that out there. But it sounded interesting to me because it used some things that I, sometimes I'd never heard before. In it, they announced that a gentleman named Larry Harmon of Ohio in the United States has agreed to plead guilty to operating uh, what the Department of Justice called, and I quote here, a Bitcoin tumbler or mixer, end quote. Harmon operated an, a platform called Helix. Uh, that uh, was a, a cryptocurrency tumbler, and he did this from 2014 to 2017. Now, he outright advertised this as a mechanism of obscuring transfers of cryptocurrency tokens uh, so that you'd be it would be difficult for law enforcement to track. Interestingly enough, he also had his search engine for uh for the dark web, and so maybe you know that's where he did his advertising. I, I don't know, uh, but. You know, he was pretty straight up. This is this is a way to duck law enforcement. Now, Harmon appears to be arrested as in 2019. I didn't get an exact arrest date, but his indictment was dated May 7th, 2019. Obviously, he had been uh, being scrutinized for a while, and his service was used to move 350,000 uh, Bitcoin tokens during its time of operation uh, during those three years. Now, at the time, they according to the indictment and, and the press release and stuff like that. This was worth about $300 million at the time. And just as kind of an interesting comment, I went and checked just before the show started. So, okay, 350,000 Bitcoin. Today's price, oh, just a hair under $17 billion United States. So that was pretty wild. Now, I was interested because I'm like, what is a tumbler? 
and what and how does this thing work? And so I had to go do some some digging on this, and it was kind of an interesting proposition here. The Tumblr basically is a a, a, a wallet that you're going to send this to a pool of tokens, and let's say um, you know you, you send your token into it. And it gets held there for some period of time, and, and at random intervals, token gets trans tokens get transferred out of it to different uh, other wallets, and um, the time period is relatively large, apparently. Uh, so it's not like the person or group who is using this gets their money overnight. This is going to sit in here and be hung up for for some period of time. You don't know exactly when it's going to come because the randomness is part of evading law enforcement. Um, so it makes a bit of an interesting trust relationship here between the two parties. That both of them know that they're crooks. So it's kind of weird. But law enforcement, you know, has a problem here. They're trying to track, okay, we have this sale of this thing over here. If we can follow these tokens along and we'll see where it gets withdrawn or, you know, try and follow this chain, maybe we can figure out who the end person is. But when it goes into this pool and it gets stuck there for, I don't know, a month, two months, I have no idea how what a large period of time is. And all of a sudden, a random thing gets tossed out to a cryptocurrency wallet. Well, where did that came from? Which crime was was part of that? And essentially, they can't, at least using this mechanism, trace those sales back to this individual over here who eventually cashed it out and made their car payment that month. So, you know, like I said, it's kind of an interesting proposition. Let's say you have a business selling drugs on the dark web, but you need to get this to your bank account. Uh, without tipping off law enforcement. So you're going to send me, because I'm trustworthy and nice guy, all your Bitcoin, and I'll hold on to it for, I don't know, a while. And eventually, I'll send it over to you less 1% to 3% transaction fees and my, you know, my cut of this, if you will. Now, I promise I'll give you your Bitcoin. It's okay. Um. Yeah, this seems kind of wild to me. I don't know how they vet this and decide that they want to go ahead and use this service. This seems legit. Maybe they try it out with small amounts and, all right, this is working, so we'll push more stuff. Now, as the operator of the Tumblr, I have some incentive to carry through on my part. First, I'll probably get more money over time by operating the service and, and handling things out and just doing what I'm supposed to here. Uh, second, you might actually figure out who I am. And let's face it, at this point, this is not a situation of laws. Suspicion is good enough. And you send Guido Nonek after me to to beat me up or worse or, or whatnot. And, and so I don't want to have that happen either. So again, we carry out the transaction. It's still kind of an interesting proposition though. To get back to Mr. Harmon, um, well, he's kind of had a bad time lately. Uh, with his guilty plea this month, he I'm figuring he was arrested back in May 2019 or maybe earlier. So he's been sitting in jail for two years already, uh, a little more than that. Now he's facing a possible 20-year jail sentence, prison sentence, and a $500,000 fine. On top of that, he's had to give up everything he has got. He's purchased with his profits, and he has to give to the federal government 440 bitcoin tokens that he currently has in his possession and again i decided to go look that up today it's priced just before the show just a little over 212 million um so 
you know, I guess it could have been much worse, though, because the fact that he did a plea bargain means that they had so much information on him that if this went to trial, he'd really be looking at some penalties. Uh, so this was actually a more attractive option than uh, than going to jury trial and, and seeing how that goes for him. Uh, obviously, they had a, law enforcement had a lot on him. Law enforcement side of this is always so interesting to me. Honestly, I think of Al Capone and the IRS coming after him because they couldn't prove he was uh, selling bootleg liquor at the time of prohibition in the United States. Um, you know, this is a case of that law enforcement using the tried and true method of following the money and and chasing things down. FBI was heavily involved, and interestingly enough, so was the IRS. IRS is law investigation, law enforcement uh, arm, and their their cyber crimes, as they call it, uh, group was was part of this. Uh, you know, the FBI may not usually investigate tax fraud or somebody failing to pay their taxes, but the IRS certainly does. And uh, so maybe Harmon didn't want to get busted for his tax for tax laws as well. Then it get really nasty. You know, governments take that aspect of life very, very seriously. If you want to go check it out, do a little reading. Got again the show notes in the has the link. You can follow that on to the indictment. You can also or to the press release from the DOJ. And if you search for Mr. Harmon's name, you can come up with the indictment to see the individual counts he was charged with. So go ahead and check that out. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, I, money laundering is always interesting to me. I, I had not heard that term Tumblr either. Uh, I thought it was a porn site, but yeah, I get it now. That and was it, the first place I went to. I know. It was like a photograph. No? Yeah. It was like no. a still photo porn site or something. It was oh. like, but yeah, I was like Tumblr. Okay. But yeah, I get it. It makes sense. Though. It's like a Tumblr. Okay. I can see that. I don't know how they're going to chase that stuff down, but if he gave up that many Bitcoin, he probably had that many more stash somewhere too. So it's like, you know, never keep all your Bitcoin, your illegal Bitcoins in one place. So there's that. <laughs> you, I mean, you'll get out of jail one day and you'll certainly want that stash that you've had in, you know, the Seneschal Islands or somewhere. All right. And finally, Hong Kong has announced strict new rules for screening banned films in the now heavily Chinese controlled city state. Hong Kong announced that showing a banned film would result in a $1 million Hong Kong uh, or Hong Kong dollar fine and three years in prison. So the new ban will apply new censorship regulations and restrictions, even to those films that have already been shown in Hong Kong. Primarily, the censor board has to decide if the film would, and, and I love this when they say this, endanger national security and safety. So even films currently being streamed or shown could be subject to this retroactively, was what they said, if the film is determined to be against the safety of the public. Now, remember the term Sikkerheitdienst. Yeah, that's it. The, you know what? That, that, the, that's the SD or the Gestapo. Well, if your German's rusty like mine, what that means is the Committee for Public Safety, you know, to protect the children. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us today on Security Weekly News. I will be replaced on Friday by the legendary Aaron Leyland with the Security Weekly News wrap-up show. See you later. Bye.